Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crew Call 3-15. This is December 2022. Tempted to call it Mike and Scotty Live because that's kind of what it's going to be. Hey, Scott. Michael, how are you? I'm doing all right for an old geezer. How about you? Uh, you uh, you're right. You are doing all right for an old geezer. Yep. Uh, I'm pretty good, too. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I don't I don't know that. I don't think old geezery until I look in the mirror or I see pictures of myself. Um, and then I kind of go, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Well, I think when I stopped over to your house the last time, I, I think I mentioned to you that, you know, I've gotten to a point where I look in the mirror now and, you know, kind of have to take a step back. Um, you know, I don't really recognize the face anymore. No, I, well, I think it, what what's part of it is you probably like me in that you think the same way you did when you were young and you don't feel too bad. <laughs> for yep. the most part. Yep. Um, so those things don't jive necessarily with the with the physical manifestation of um, you're not young anymore. <laughs> well, if I'm aging on the inside, you know, like I'm aging on the outside, I'm really screwed. <laughs> Be afraid. Be very yeah. afraid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that that, you know, and I don't think we we had intended to start start it quite that way, but you know. We're all getting older. We've all got layouts. Uh, we're starting to see some of our our friends go to the big uh, marshalling yard in the sky there, you know. And and uh, you had uh, you had that experience recently with a, a, a close and long friend of yours, Dick Elwell, right? Yeah, uh, Dick passed away uh, uh, back in September, and um, you know I, I I was very very fortunate. Um, I I'd, I'd known Dick for for thirty years. And I I'd met him um, shortly after my own dad passed away. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there are many people out there that are going to hear this and say, yeah, I know exactly what Scott's talking about. Dick had a way of, of making everybody feel very, very comfortable, which really is the did. sign. This is a sign of a gentleman. Uh, and he was also inquisitive. So, you know, when I, when I met him, uh, the first time I met him, you know, here I am, uh, you know, I'd known of this guy uh, since his layout had been published in Railroad Model Craftsman in the late 70s. It was and, that long ago? Really? Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, really admired his work and, and and got to see it in person in, in, in the early 90s. And, you know, here I am, you know, my eyes wide open, just taking this all in and, and trying to understand the artistry behind it. And, and Dick is more interested in asking me questions about, you know, where my modeling interests are and how long I've been in the hobby. And, and it just really, really took me uh, by surprise because I, I never expected that this guy who, you know, already was a, was a household name. Well, by nine, by the early nineties, he was really a household name in the hobby. Um, uh, you know, would be interested in, in someone that, you know, he'd never met before. So, yeah, but that's the um, that's the mark of someone who's not so full of themselves. They're actually interested in other people. Well, I know that when I met him, he had that. I mean, you notice it immediately. He had that uh, the glint of intelligence in his eye that all sharp people have. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but I'm sure you have because you're 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 one of those guys. But um, do, do you I'm trying to get the timeline straight. In, in my head here, do you recall approximately when you took me out there to meet him? Um, 
Jeez, it had to be. I would say probably around 2010, 2009, maybe. All right. So a dozen years ago, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, so, you had, so, so if I'm doing the math right, you had only connected with him less than 10 years before that. Uh, so I met him in 19, I'm sorry, I, I said early 2000s. I met him in, um, good God. Uh, I met him right before my dad passed away, 1992. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, and then we, we talked about this old age thing. And here it is rearing its ugly head. Well, when, when uh, you saw his layout for the first time, how did it, had it changed much from, from the magazine articles you saw in the 70s? Yeah, it really did. You know, Dick was never one to let uh, moss grow underneath his feet. Uh, when the when the original article was published in, in Rero Model Craftsman, you know, things like lichen and zip texturing uh, were were kind of the de facto uh, processes for building scenery yeah it's what you did uh and and uh you know dick you know i mean it's really all you had to work with so hmm. uh, that's what you know a lot of his scenery looked like it was hard shell uh you know hydrocal rocks um but it looked really good oh it was amazing no that was a very laborious way to do it how the heck did he have time to do that? Like, how long had he been building it? Well, he started building the railroad in, in 1960. Yeah. It's a um, long he, and time. Wife, he and his wife, Sandy, had had bought a house in, up in Adams, Mass. And he converted the basement, started building the layout, and uh, lived there until, I want to say it was maybe 2000. 2001 maybe and they he had retired he he was a he was a lineman for the phone company right. and he retired and kind of his retirement gift to to he and his wife um, was that they built a, a new much larger house uh about uh, a mile and a half away from from where the original house was and and you know you, you wouldn't have to really hold a gun to his head to, to get him to admit it but the whole reason was he wanted more space to to you know he had built the layout and he wanted I have no idea what that's like yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh, so by the time i saw it in person uh the zip texturing was gone uh ground foam was, had really kind of become the way to go but he you know dick was <laughs> Dick was an amazing artist in that he could use materials that most advanced model railroaders would not consider using. Uh, he would not only make them work, but he, but they would look fantastic. Like, for instance, sand. Uh, you know, I asked him one day, you know, I, I had been through this kind of uh, process where I was looking for the right soils Right. Um, looking for the right shades and colors and all this. And I said, Dick, you know, what do you use? And he, he reached onto the layout and pulled out this five gallon bucket and opened the lid. And it was literally sand that he swept off the driveway. And, and what had he used to screen it? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Literally nothing. He, he would put down a layer of white glue and spread this out over it. And that was his base code. 
And, you know, I would look at the layout and, and try to see, you know, it's sand, right? I, it's still, the, the idea, is, it still raises the hair on the back of my neck. So why did it look good? <laughs> because he he knew he knew how to how to cover it. He knew how to um, draw attention away from the fact that it was sand. Um, you know the trees on his layout were magnificent, and and I think that uh, you know people um, who I mean even the most sophisticated modelers would go down there and they'd look at the trees and just say, you know that. This is an amazing process. Do you know um, what he was using? Yeah, uh, and uh, it's got about eighteen different names. So he he used a, a couple of different materials. One was a a floral material that we used to call peppergrass. I've heard of that, and it's not. Come to find out, it's not really called peppergrass. Um, it's called um, candy tuft, hmm. and. And candy tuft can be very, very difficult to come by. In fact, um, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on a project right now. And I, and I went online to try to find a source for this. And and literally... Um, well, geez, we, I had you in a floral supply house. Well... <laughs> Not that long I, I, ago. I think, I think I had actually sourced the material before we went there. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, but Hobby Lobby actually carries it. Now... You know, I won't get into politics, but right uh, under the heading of beggars can't be choosers, I, right. I bought it from, from Hobby Lobby. Um, he also used um, a a live material called Meadow Sweet. That's S W S W E E T Meadow Sweet. Okay, and it, it grows it grows wild, and and one of the places it grows is. He also used oregano. Um, but one of the places it, it grows is on top of Hoosick Mountain uh, up up in the greater North Adams area. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a funny story that goes with this. So it's 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 the time of year, it's 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 late August and it's time to harvest the meadow sweet. So I go up to Adams and uh, there's about four or five of us, uh, Lou Sassy among them, Dick, me, a um, couple of other guys. And we we ride up this fire road, dirt fire road up to the top of the mountain, which in and of itself was a bit of a harrowing experience. Oh, probably in a car. Yeah, in a minivan. Oh, jeez. And <laughs> um, so we get up at the top and, and these guys are picking Meadowsweet, but the the wild blackberries have drawn my attention for, for as far as you can see there are wild blackberries so now, now those tend to be kind of uh tart these were perfect these oh, are the kind gosh. you find in the grocery store mm -hmm. i'm picking them as fast as i can eat them or i'm eating them as fast as i can pick them however you want to phrase it and at one point dick looks over and he says um Scott, um, don't pick and eat any of the blackberries below, say, your knees. And, you know, stupid me, right? I, I look up and I said, well, why not? And, you know, I got a mouthful of blackberries. 
And he says, um, because the bears tend to pee on them. <laughs> so, you know, I picture this, you know, comic me spitting out the, the blackberries and, you know, wiping my tongue. And, um, <laughs> but, it, but it raised, you know, two primary concerns. One, you know, I, I certainly don't want to be eating food that the bears have, have urinated on. And, and two, there's bears. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so, so the, the, the scenery evolved. And, uh, you know, in later years, it was. Well, but let me let me pause you for a sec. So you've got these, I guess this is used for the armatures. What's he putting on them? Uh, so with the with the candy tuft, um, all he all he did, because it, it has a leaf like structure on it already. Uh, all he was doing was spray painting it. Really? Yep. Where was this so, all good life? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? Um, so, you know, he he modeled the fall. So, you know, he had oh, a can right, of orange, right. a can of green, a can of red, you know, a can of yellow, and off he went. Hmm. It was a very simple process. He, I asked him once, uh, he, I said, how do you paint your rocks? And uh, he, he kind of chuckled and he said, well, and, you know, and everything with him was kind of an aw shucks kind of, <laughs> deal because he was so humble so that's just floquil now you know thankfully floquil is no longer available <laughs> uh, but picture you know this giant rock face and you know standing there with open bottles of floquil paint and the smell right and it, that stuff stunk to the high heavens oh yeah inexpensive to do that inexpensive but his rocks looked beautiful he was probably thinning it greatly and using it as a stain i'm guessing uh i don't i don't know i you know it i don't think so <laughs> is the, really? is the only answer i can come up with i i think he was probably using it straight wow but he he was just so in tune with nature and had an innate ability to replicate it that, you know, he could work from an open bottle with a paintbrush and, uh, you know, get results that you and I could never get in a bazillion years. So he he probably developed his eye, believe it or not, as a lineman, because he probably spent an inordinate amount of time outside. He was, he was an outdoor, he was an outdoor kind of guy. Hmm. Um, well, I'm know, glad I got I to was... see him here one time. He, uh, he visited once with a, a young fellow who brought him out, whose name escapes me, but well, I was here. I was there that day, if you remember. No, I don't think you were here that day. I think that was another time. Uh, oh, okay. He well, came down once with... specifically to talk to me about Mahupani. He had a lot of oh, questions. Okay. Okay. Um, and I had forgotten about that other time. That's right. Um. So. Uh. So yeah. So I, you know, and there were thousands and thousands of these trees on the layout. I can relate. Um, Go ahead. If you had to guess, how, what was the square footage of his of his basement? Uh, Eighteen hundred square feet. I don't have to guess. You, really? Yeah. That's a that's kind of a coincidence. That's a minus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I I did I did that DVD on his on his layout back in two thousand and eight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did for, for many reasons. Uh, you know, not only is it, um, you know, my, my favorite model railroad of all time, but, 
you know, he and I just really formed a, a very close bond. I, I would say, you know, we talked two or three times every week and uh, probably like a surrogate uh, father relationship. Right? Very much so. In yeah. fact, uh, jokingly, um, you know, he would he would introduce me from time to time as his youngest son. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, when when he was when it be, you know became obvious that the end was near for him, I was talking uh, to his youngest son. And, uh, you know, we were, we were basically just, you know, on the phone with each other, miserable. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you know, Scott, he said, you were you were the son he could share his hobby with. True. And I literally had to pull over to the side of the road at that point. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I consider myself very, very lucky. Um, and I don't want to make this about, you know, my completely about my relationship with, with him. Um, but I, I do consider myself very, very lucky. I, I learned far more about life than I ever did about the hobby from him. Uh, you know, and he taught me a lot about that, but uh, you know, he, he was one of those people that nobody had a bad thing to say about. And those people are you, really, you right. literally took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say that exact thing that everybody just liked him. Yep. Yeah. But I, you know, I wanted to talk too about his, his contributions to the hobby because, you know, when, when he started building the Hoosick Valley, there, there really wasn't a distinction um, for prototype modelers. Uh, and know, yet the, they, the, the and yet they existed back then. They just weren't I'm, called that. I'm sorry. And yet they existed. They just weren't called that. Yeah. And they were, they weren't called that. And I think they were a very small percentage of, of the hobby. Uh, and the reason I, I I think that was the case is because the manufacturers just didn't really cater to uh, prototype modelers. There were there were brass manufacturers that certainly did, but uh, you know the, the plastic manufacturers were were all very very generic in their offerings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 Dick was was one of the pioneers in um, you know what we've come to call proto freelance modeling, and to the point where. Um, you know, his people would come and look at his layout and say, oh, I, you know, I know where that is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and while there were, you know, certain structures on his layout that, that were modeled from prototype buildings, uh, you know, the, 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 the layout was designed to have the feel for, you know, that region of Massachusetts, New York, Vermont. Right. Uh, and he captured it. He, he really did. He he really did, and that was the magic of it. Um, the other contribution um, I think that 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 comes to the forefront is is operation. Um, you know, something near and dear to our hearts. Um, you know, Dick Dick always operated. His goal was to always operate, uh, but in a in a prototypical manner to the point where, you know, he literally adapted Penn Central switch lists. Uh, to his to his specific operating sessions, hmm. and uh, uh, you know some of the some of the best times I've had in this hobby were operating on that layout. So I'm glad I get so to do I, it once. Yeah, I I think a lot of the 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 lessons that he taught are, are carried over by modelers today. Um, you know and. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you, you teed it up a little bit, uh, before we, we started specifically talking about Dick, but, um, 
you know, when 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 modelers pass away, their their layouts often go to the same route. Right. And un- unfortunately, um, you know, that's this was no case. exception, right? That's the case with the Hoosick Valley. Uh, you know, there's, there's just, um, you know, there's there's an intrinsic value to these things, and certainly there's a value to the hobby. Um, there's a value as as um, artwork in some cases. And this was and yet art. without the builder, it really can't exist as a as its own entity. No, it it, it really can't. And um, you know, Dick Dick was eighty seven, uh, and you know what I tell people is, um, you know, he had eighty seven good years and a and a couple of bad months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he 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 really did live life on his own terms. Um, but you know, his his wife. Um, you know, who was, you know, a, a long suffering model railroad wife, um, you know, is, is, is looking to, um, you know, move into a smaller space and, you know, it, she obviously has no need for, for the model railroad and, um, understandably, um, you know, it's didn't feel the same way about it because it wasn't really her creation, obviously. Well, she, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of Dick's um attributes um were 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 probably would probably be tough on any spouse so he was very very welcoming and accommodating to people who would call up and say hey you know i'm in town i'm in the area from california and i know i've never talked to you or met you but do you mind if i come over to your house you know <laughs> get out in your basement and look at your model railroad so just like me <laughs> yeah right um or or quite frankly anybody right i mean but Dick wasn't that way. And, and Dick was like, yeah, sure. Come on over. Yeah. And this was a, a very, very regular occurrence. Right. If Dick was home and someone called up and wanted to come over. They were welcome. Um, we had a, a situation. Uh, <laughs> and that's the best way I can describe it. In 2000, I think it was 2005. It was the year before we started the Craftsman Structure Show. I got it in my head that... Um, the Thursday and Friday before the Springfield show, I was going to do this local tour of, of model railroads. Sure. And so I started taking signups online and I got Dick to agree to, to do an open house and George Celios and, and my layout was, was open and uh, Bob Van Gelder's layout was open. Um, and we were going to go up to the, after we left Dick's, we were going to go up to the Hoosick tunnel and do a mm-hmm. tour up there and, I had a catered luncheon, barbecue luncheon the next day. And, you know, it was this whole thing. So, you know, I, I did one of these asleep at the switch kind of things. And the next thing I knew, I, I, I was going to hold it to 50 people. Next thing I knew, I had 75. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, this is going to be interesting. So, uh, you know, Dick and I had, had talked several times leading up to this. And I, and I said to him the day before, I said, I'll give you a call in the morning and let you know when we when we leave the hotel. We had stayed overnight in Springfield and we're on our way up. So, you know what time to expect us. What did you do? Rent a school bus or something? <laughs> no, everybody was responsible for their own transportation. Like where, which, would they, which, where would they park? <laughs> well, just that aside, that that's part of the whole drama. But, okay. So... I, I pick up the phone and I call and, and his wife, Sandy, answers. And uh, I, I said, Sandy, is Dick there? 
No, he just ran out to, to get the newspaper. And I said, okay. I said, just let him know that that me and 75 of his closest <laughs> friends are, are heading up there. We'll be there at, at nine o'clock. And there's dead silence. She, on the he other hadn't told her. He kind of forgot to mention it to Sandy. <laughs> oh, boy. And she, understandably, she was ripped. Yeah. And uh, so I got there and Dick says, geez, uh, you got me in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I said, you didn't tell her? And uh, he said, nah, I, you know, I, I was going to and I forgot. <laughs> so, oh boy. Uh, but, but, you know, he, he did that sort of thing a lot. Right, right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's, that wasn't, so she was, I don't blame her, you yep. know, I mean, yep. really like, um, you know, to have people traipsing through your house, um, people calling your house at all hours of the day, because the word got out that, you know, Dick was very approachable. You could call him and ask him, you know, Hey, you know, how do you build, how do you make water? Um, you know, and he would spend the next hour explaining his techniques to you. So he was an unpaid help desk. Oh, he was he was everybody's IT of the hobby. So I, I think the way I, I run it here, um, it's considerably less of a burden on Karen. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And and quite frankly, you know, if I still had a, a layout, uh, I would be um, way more um, along the lines of, of, of how, how you do it than than how Dick did it. But God bless him. Um, you know, he loved it. Uh he was so happy to share the hobby with people. Yeah. And uh, and you and you had brought up um Alan McClellan. I mean, we just we just lost him as well. Did you had you met him in person? I, I had met him a couple of times and 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 I mentioned to you that there, there are a lot of ironies. Um Alan died exactly a week after Dick did. Mm. And uh he was 88. And um his the that landmark series and in, in railroad model craftsmen in, in the 70s ran as an every other month um uh, set of articles and one of the months in between was the the month that dick's layout was first featured mm -hmm. the railroad model craftsman so here's this eighth grader sitting in study hall <laughs> And and literally, I had a three ring binder that I had, you know, cut out all of the Virginian and Ohio articles and and hole punched them and put them in this binder along with the the Dick Elwell article, the music value. Interesting. And they were together in this binder, and I would sit in study hall and just, you know, study every word and every picture, and you know. If I had a magnifying glass, you know, my my face would have been pressed into the pages, just trying to understand how these guys did this. Um, you so, think about it back back then, you were either in craftsman or in model railroader, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, you were a, either a Ford or a Chevy guy, right? And uh, and, and I used and, to I used to read those magazines until they fell apart, basically. Oh yeah. Um, so it was, it was ironic that they passed away a week apart. Um, it was, it was ironic that their, their layouts and really their, their fame in the hobby came in the, in the, within the same year. Well, they were, they were contemporaries. They were, they were really contemporaries and, and Alan's contributions to the hobby. I mean, Alan, um, was, was probably, um, 
more widely known. Mm -hmm. um, but their contributions were very, very similar. Alan's goal was to also operate in a, in a prototypical manner. He was also, um, a, you know, a freelance, proto-freelance modeler. Uh, but people would look at his layout and 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 say, oh, you know, I just saw that 40-foot boxcar, you know, in a consist down the street. <laughs> uh, you know, and it couldn't be further from the truth, but but people were were so um entwined in in the what Alan had created in his basement, so sucked into it that they immediately assumed it was based on on reality. And it really wasn't. Um, so, and so the a quick story. I was a, a freshman out at the University of Dayton, and and Alan lived in in a, Dayton's made up of several small towns that are all. It, it's not a big city, mm -hmm. um, and I knew he was from Dayton, and uh, so I I screwed up my coverage one Saturday morning, and I looked him up in the phone book, and I called him up, just like I, people were doing with Dick. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I identified myself and I said, you know, I'm a freshman at the University of Dayton. I said, I've, you know, been a big fan of your, your layout. Um, I said, you know, do you ever have any open houses? And he said, Yeah, he said, I, I do. He said, but uh he said, you know, I'm home all day if you want to come over. <laughs> and uh and I said, Well, yeah, you know, and 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 Dayton was wonderful. Uh, because it had a substantial bus route. You could get anywhere by bus. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, just, you know, take the number 25 bus, at, you know, outside the gates of the college, transfer here, get on the 14 bus and take it here. And, <laughs> you know, and then it's a, you know, a couple of blocks, you know, walk to my house. And uh, so I, I spent a, a few hours at his house one Saturday afternoon. And, you know, I was just, you know, it, no photograph does justice to to a layout, even you know with with today's high definition photography. Uh, but that was certainly the case with with his layout back then. I, I had an opportunity to meet him uh, probably around two thousand and ten ish. Um, he he came to uh, the uh, NER uh, NMRA regional convention and. Taunton. And um, so I introduced myself again. And I, I said, I, I'm not going to, you know, um, expect that you would ever remember me. But I said, I, you know, I, and I reminded him or I told him the story. I said, I just want to thank you for that. I said, it really, really meant a lot to me. Hmm. And he was very gracious. I, he, he certainly didn't remember it, but uh, yeah, he was, he was just a, for the couple of times I met him, he seemed like a, a very, very nice guy. You know, all of this seems to be one of these um, circle of life kind of things where you spend a long time building your layout and you develop your operational concepts and you get to a point where the layout is sufficiently uh, operational and, and, and probably, uh, you know, visually acceptable. Mm -hmm. start start running your layout and uh, if it's any good um you either write some articles about it or or other people do and um maybe you, maybe you become one of those guys at some point you know after being influenced by them 
Well, I, I think the, the takeaway for me, um, you know, especially with with the time I I knew Dick, um, is is the importance of giving back to the hobby. Uh, you know, I've done the 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 business thing in the hobby. Um, you know, I've 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 you made, enjoy it like, a lot more now. I enjoy it a lot more now. Um, it, 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 as a hobby, it's very relaxing as a business. It's, it's very frustrating. It's hard to give back to the hobby when, when it's your business. As a business, it's a business. It's not yeah. a hobby, right? We're supposed um, to, we're supposed to be doing this for fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's amazing how quickly it can become not fun. Now I'm, I'm, I'm saying that even though I have a small sideline business, uh, Micro's Hobbies and Dartmouth Locomotive Works. Mm -hmm. And I think the way I keep it fun is that I work out of here. So it's not like I have to go and sit in a building somewhere yep. else and, and work. Yep. And I, I never take on more than I feel like doing. And yep. it keeps my hand in on installations and things like that because I don't have... Um, you know, I'm not always working on my own locomotives now that I have, you know, 140 something of them operational. So there's very little that I need to actually add to the fleet. And arguably, I should be cutting back on it some. You uh, think? And, well, and we can talk about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but I think my point is that if it if it had gone further or if I had allowed it to go further and become more of a vocation, it would have been a lot less fun. You know, so, uh, but I do enjoy doing what I, what I'm doing with it. And in fact, when I had that long drought from, I think it was certainly uh, all of May, June, July, and August and part of September, where I couldn't, I couldn't get power packs. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were no installs done during that time. I mean, it, that's the longest drought I've ever, uh, I've experienced probably ever in doing installs. I had no product. Um so at the beginning, you know, the first month, it was like, all right, taking a little time away from it. But after a while, I actually missed it a little bit because it is kind of fun to do these things, even though many of them can be a pain in the neck. But in general, it's a pretty it's a pretty good little sideline. You know what I mean? And the customers that I do it for, they really seem to appreciate what I do with their locos. You know what I mean? I, I I'm. I'm I'm sharing our settings and I'm doing it the way I would do one of mine. And um, the same people keep coming back time and time and time again, because they like what's, they like what's happening with that. You couldn't do that. I don't think if you were in production mode and you just needed to crank them out, you know what I mean? So I think, I think keeping it a little boutique thing is, is what has kept it kind of fun for me and, and, maybe a little extra special uh, for the people who I do the installs for. You know, and, and, you know, we all know people who are, are in the business of the hobby on a full-time basis. And I, and I was. Um, Some people have, have done it remarkably. Look at Lance Minheim, you know, it's, it's well, they're, right. So incredible. And, <laughs> and, you know, we've talked about this, you know, on, on, on several past podcasts, but the key to it is, you, you've got to be able to separate the hobby from the business and run it like a strict business. And guys like Lance get it. Um, I learned that that's the way you've got to do it. Um, there are others that I've seen that that can do it that way. 
uh, many fail because they can't separate the two. Sure. Uh, there is. You run a business gotta, like a hobby. It's a hobby. Right. And you've got to be willing to, to pay the price. And the price is that uh, you, you're going to do a lot of traveling. Um, the the logistics that go along with the traveling, you know, transporting product from one convention to the other or one show to the other can be a real hassle. Um, you know, I, I remember waking and there's up. There's those 16-hour mad drives to Chicago. Oh, and, and, and that was a short one, Mike. Yeah. I mean, you were very fortunate that, you know, I was in a talkative mood that that time, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I drove Something to like you by myself. <laughs> you know, I mean, I drove to Calgary by myself. Oh I, man! You know, I uh, that's you know, real I, road warrior stuff. I used to drive to uh, Cocoa Beach, you know, every January by myself. Hmm. Um, you know, it's it's fine, but you've got to be. That's the that's the price you pay. Uh, and I you, love you're a traveling salesman. Yeah, I loved meeting people. I loved doing clinics. I loved talking about the hobby. Um, you know, I, I I was very, very appreciative of, um, you know, everybody who sought me out, all the kind words. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it makes it worth it. There's no question, but it, it's, it's tough. And if you, if you, if you're not willing to do that, then you're you're probably not gonna not gonna succeed. Well, um, you know everything you're talking about. I mean, I I, um, I I don't know if you noticed, but I was on the uh, the second section podcast on Tuesday. You know, it's it's ironic that it seems like whenever I do a podcast, I'm also doing one of theirs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like reminds me that I have one. <laughs> but, yeah. So this is going to be another one of those two in one week deals. Yeah. Um, but it's um. You know, I, I was talking on that show about all of the people that I've met in the hobby by going to uh, proto meets and what have you, and how most of my friends, uh, with, with the exception of a couple of guys that I've known, you know, like from, from grammar school, like my buddy Dave, but, but for the most part, everybody that's my friend these days is a trained guy that I met at one of the meets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a small world out there. Uh, if you don't, I mean, if you don't get out into it, you don't, you never, you never, you never interface with it. You don't, you don't get to meet people. And that was, you know, for us, it was a little weird during the pandemic because obviously we, we circle the wagons as much as we needed to here for other reasons that I won't get into, but, um, only very, very recently, have we started doing some uh, some ops again? You know, um, yeah. I think I, I think I, I spoke in the past about how during the pandemic, my layout was getting to the point where it was it really was ready for operating. And um, I think I had had you probably came to one obsession here or maybe two uh, before all of that went down. Right. Um, I don't know if you were at an obsession that included the addition, though. I'm guessing maybe not. Uh, I think. If I you think, were, it was just one. Yeah, it was just one, and it was it was the first one you did. So I, 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 you know, so then I went through a period where I operated it alone, which was a very interesting experience because 
it was doing that that allowed me to develop what has become my operational scheme. Um, a lot of that came out of conversations with Mike Confalone. In fact, he was the guy that encouraged me to run the layout myself because he had started to do it. Because he said at one point, he says, you know, it's nuts that we don't operate our layouts except during an op session. And he says, I'm going to start doing it. And I thought, geez, that's probably a good idea. Um, and, and as I started to operate it, several things came out of that. Uh, one was that um, I was able to really learn every single job on the layout, which if you're only doing op sessions and you're the host, you're lucky to run a train. You know what I mean? You're not really running on your own layout. There was a long period of time where I knew Confalone's layout way better than I knew mine because I ran on his frequently, like every six weeks. Yeah. Um, so it, what was really cool about it was I got to like discover my own layout. And then I kind of, you know, obviously you can't run everything at once. So I developed this operating scheme where things were um, evolutionary rather than restaged every time you went down and operated. Uh-huh. So basically, every time I went down, I just picked up where I left off. And I thought, why can't I just do that? And that's really what we do now. Um, the only thing I do really um, is restage a couple of trains in the staging yards. Or not. Sometimes I don't even do that because we're not always running road trains. Well, um, so, sometimes know, we'll have a night where it's just locals and those things stage themselves. I was about to say, the only prototype railroad that I knew that reset anything was the, P Cent the Penn Central. <laughs> um, but you yeah, know the I traditional mean... obsession model where everything, like, I'll give you an example. So I went to, uh, this past weekend, I went to Neil Schofield's. I had operated that in a long time and, uh -huh. and uh, uh, you know, Confalone and Joe Posick were there and my buddy Dave came with me and it really was a nice time. And, and Neil has a beautiful uh, layout and he, like my like me, had done a lot on it over the past couple of years. So I really was looking forward to uh, to, to, to seeing the uh, the progress uh, in person, you know, and you, you probably saw some of the photos that I put on, on crew call from that day. Yep. Uh, the layout photographs very, very well, and it operates beautifully. And his cars and locos uh, are are ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's all it's just all positive. Interestingly enough, from an operational standpoint, he's orchestrating everything. So before the session, he has typed out well, not typed out, but you know, I mean, put in put into probably a spreadsheet everything. You know, like switch list for every job and and, and all of that. And I looked at it and I thought, I remember when I used to do that. It was a lot of work. And it was a lot of cleric work yep. that I didn't particularly enjoy doing, you know. <laughs> um, you know, uh, even even Confalone with his waybills, I mean, he's he's got a, a waybill, an inbound waybill and an outbound waybill for every car or a load and an empty, if you will. Yep. And um, it takes him a good three hours to prepare for a, uh, a session. He's taking cards out of here and he's filing them there and all of that. And he and I talked a lot about that. And um, he said, frankly, he said, if I, I, if I was doing, if I were doing it again, I wouldn't have gone all the way down that, that route. You know um, the conversations I had with him about that evolved into my particular uh, way bill sort of a card system here, you know, Yep, and um, it's it's the perpetual nature of it that appeals to me a lot because the card 
physically stays with the car. If I take a car off the layout, goes into the A-line box, put the card associated with it. Uh -huh. I don't have to like, you know, go to a file box and look forward or anything like that. Yep. And um, although I've occasionally lost a car, it's a long story. I haven't lost any cards so far, <laughs> which is, yeah. which is good. <laughs> Generally they, you know, they stay with the, they stay with the job, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, one of these days we'll have to have you participate because I don't, I'm pretty sure you haven't operated here with the current uh, Waybill system. And I think you'll, you'd probably find it to be um, very simple and, and straightforward. Well, I, I, I mean, I just, I've operated on so many different types of systems and, and, you know, the, the bottom line is that a, a well-designed, well-engineered layout, um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have a good time operating on no matter what. Oh, absolutely. I had a ball at, at, at Neil's that day. And, uh, wasn't that long ago that Dave and I went up and operated with, uh, Mike and, uh, and Joe up at the, uh, at the Allagash and it's like riding a bike, you know what I mean? You just jump right back into it and, I knew the layout very well, and obviously it was a great day, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. So, um, although one of the things we've we've all started to agree on, though, is that um, it's possible to have too many physical bodies in an op session, and we like the smaller four or five guys uh, op session much better than you know an eight or ten guy op session. It, it, uh, it makes it, it gets, easier to get around in the aisles. You're not yeah. you're not hurting cats all day with people finding things for them to do, and you can kind of get into what you're doing. You know what I mean? You get into the job and you get into the layout and the running of it, as opposed to trying to orchestrate some kind of uh, you know ballet with uh, all these people. Well, the one thing the prototype and the model have in common in certain operating sessions is a bottleneck, right? And uh, you know, we don't have to deal with it on the prototype, but it's kind of a pain in the neck to deal with it, uh, you know, when, when we're trying to have fun in an operating session. Well, and I try to operate my layout now roughly once a week. That usually translates into maybe three times a month because stuff, uh -huh. stuff happens. Sure. But um, for most of those times, it's just my buddy Dave coming over and we just we just pick up where we left off. Now, one of the things that we learned quickly to do was at the end of an op session, whatever it is, three hours, three and a half hours. We, we I always joke we we operate till our feet hurt. Yeah. Um, the uh, we usually have a, a a little five minute thing where we say, "All right, what are we going to do next time?" <laughs> and, and we and we we put it down on a whiteboard because that way when we come down again, we look at that and go, "Oh yeah, we ran ALCG last time. We want to run ALCG this time." Or, oh boy, cars are building up in Taylor Yard. We should run a, uh, one or two DNH trains. Or there's so much uh, set up and staged for locals in Pittston Yard. Maybe that night we just run locals and we don't even run a road train. So it's, but it's, but at the end of every session, we kind of we kind of put down what we what we think we need to be thinking about the next time, so we don't have to remember it. Because as we had talked about before recording. It's hard to remember things now. <laughs> it's it's impossible. <laughs> I give up. And and that way we could just look at the whiteboard and go, oh yeah, we got this. You know, yeah. Dave, Dave writes up a little. Uh, we got another whiteboard we use for the for the yard report. We've got one for each staging yard, so that I know, you know, track seven is ALCG ready to go, but track six is 
CGAL that I need to restage, you know, that came in on the last session. So just just having that instead of having to like figure it out from scratch every time ha has really paid dividends because you're not wasting any time doing things that are annoying and frustrating. You just run the layout. Yeah, absolutely. So you are working on some interesting project right now that is not your typical layout, but it is modeling. You want to tell us about that? Well, it's a lot of modeling is what it is. Um, so back in, well, uh, I would say about a year and a half ago, um, my wife and I were sitting around and we were talking about uh, volunteerism, which you know we're both very big on, especially um, you know, on a town level. And she's the um, executive director of the, the food pantry here in, in Franklin, which is, it's a, it's a fairly um, major operation. And they rely heavily on, on volunteers for a lot of different aspects of, of what they do. Um, and, you know, once a month I go and, and, and ride with the, the truck to the, uh, Greater Boston Food Bank and and load up the food and and bring it back to the food pantry and unload the food and it's close to four thousand pounds of food every time we make the trip. Wow! Uh, I only do it once a month. You know, it's it's an every week endeavor for for other people. But um, you know, we we're talking about you know what I could get more involved in, and she said, you know, what about the historical commission? And um, I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's in my wheelhouse. Um, so I contacted the, the chairwoman of the commission whom I, whom I've known for, for quite some time. And, uh, I never heard back and, you know, you, you get busy with life. Sure. And uh, about a year or so went by and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to reach out to her again. And she wrote back and she apologized profusely. She said, you know, she never, she probably got the email, but never saw it, but she invited me to to meet with them and, and and go through a kind of an informal interview. So anyway, long story short, I was appointed to the historical commission in, in September and I'm attending my first commission meeting and the topic of new exhibits comes up and the, the gentleman next to me who's on the commission starts elbowing me and he says, Hey, uh, he says, you're that train guy, right? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I've been called worse. So, um, so I said, yeah, I said, you know, I've, I've had this idea for an exhibit in mind for several years. He said, but I don't, I don't have the ability to execute it. I said, he said, but I bet you do. And I thought, You're oh, thinking, uh oh, here it comes. Yeah. Um, so to cut to the chase, I'm, I'm building a, a series of exhibits, um, on the, the railroad in Franklin circa 1932. And these when you these say a series, series, are they all going to be are they all being built at once or is this an evolutionary thing? Yeah, it's an annual thing, is 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 what it is. So um they'll they'll all focus on 1932, but they will um they will go from the each each exhibit will focus on a segment of a certain part of town. Okay. So for it'll instance, be it'll be on display for for a year, and then a new thing will go up. Well, it won't be on display for quite that long because they they do have other exhibits that they'll revolve in and out of there. 
Um, and then the other piece too is that we, it, if you leave it there all year, um, you know, you you get a decreasing return from it. Um, so what we, is the lifespan of it? The, that that uh... a couple of months. Okay. So this first um, segment is is based on the the area in the center of town where the train station is, and then uh, I had to do a substantial amount of research uh, to, to figure out, uh, what the other railroad related buildings were in that vicinity, um, to, to put on this, um, for lack of a a better word, it's a diorama. Um, because other than the train station, which was built in 1928 and is still there, none of the other railroad related buildings are there anymore. And some have been gone for decades and decades. How so, are you doing the research? So I, I've benefited greatly from a, a couple of sources. There was a gentleman in, in Franklin who was the unofficial chronicler of all things Franklin um, during the Depression and in later years. So he had um, a substantial amount of film that he shot, movie film, uh, all of which is uh, available online through the the Franklin Public Library. Uh, But he also shot thousands and thousands of photographs. Wow. So so I was able to identify the the buildings. The the, the problem with the photograph is, you know, it shows you about one and a half sides of a building. We're used to that, though. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're left to to speculate, you know, what the rest of it looked like. So there's a little bit of um, extrapolation that that had to take place in this. Um, where the station is located, there's a parking, the train station commuter rail parking lot, and then there's a municipal parking lot um, on the other side of that. Before that municipal parking lot was built, there was a, a fairly substantial uh, coal company that supplied coal for home heating. That was located there, and there were there were five buildings that that made up the coal company, including the 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 coal um, storage building, which was a, a fairly formidable structure. So I was able to get enough information to scratch build three of them. Um, there was a a building across the the tracks from the station that was at one time a piano factory, uh, and later became a furniture warehouse. Hmm. Uh, so I ended up and then adjacent to the station was an REA office. Uh, so I ended up scratch building, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven buildings. Um, uh, of those, the station was by far the most difficult. How big is this display? It's eight feet long and it's at its widest about 32 inches. It's 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 a little bit of free form on the sides. I imagine it's designed to be viewed 360. Yeah, it's it's a walk around design. The mm-hmm. you know, and and so this is to me, this is prototype modeling to its its highest fidelity. I'm literally trying to capture every single detail to the best um I can based on the information that's available to me. Um now, you know, having said that, there's still some compromises. Um, the, the biggest compromise is that um, had I built this truly, to, now the structures are all to scale, but had I built um, the 
the bench work to scale. It would have been 23 feet long. Jeez. So there's uh, uh, there's the selective compression is in the uh, interstitial spacing between the buildings, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, um, and not even so much between the buildings. Where, where the spacing is is um, in the in the track work. So there's a, a siding that goes to the coal facility. Um, you know, I I had to truncate. Um, you know where that where that um, came in off the main line. Uh, the distance between the uh, there, there's a, a, a bridge, uh, a, a road bridge uh, in the center of town that I, I modeled as an endpoint. And you, you take for granted just how how big these structures are. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm under this bridge with 100 foot tape measure dodging dead pigeon carcasses and <laughs> owl poop. And I, you know, it's just the nastiest place in the world. I felt like I needed a tetanus shot when I got out of there. Wow. But the, the bottom line is that the, the retaining wall, the, the, the abutments for the bridge, the retaining walls that, that came out from the bridge towards the station altogether would have been over three feet long. Had I modeled them to scale. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pause and give you a, give you a little bit of uh, tongue lashing here because you uh, were going to send me some pictures of this and I've seen nothing. No, and 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 I apologize, but I don't apologize, and and <laughs> and here and here's why. Um, so, you know, I, I I'm like you. Uh, I still am gainfully employed. Um, you know, in in a job that has nothing to do with the hobby. Um, I have a wife and. And wonderful children, um, whom you know I love to spend time with. This exhibit um, was thrust into my purview, and and left me with three months from start to finish. Um, I've been spending every spare moment of my life working on this thing, and I mean nose to the grindstone stuff. This is you know production, um, you know get it out the door. I've got until December 17th today is December 1st and it's almost over. So I've got basically the balance of 15 days. Uh, and I probably got realistically six weeks of work that I've got to squeeze into that. Fifteen days. I was going to say, uh, so specifically what remains, you've got the buildings all done, right? The, the buildings are all done, except um the the station i'm shingling the station as we speak uh the, the station i've actually had to build twice i was not happy with it the first time at all um you built it twice i built it twice i looked at it the first time i said this is dog poop it's not ever going to see the light of day wow um, was that because you maybe were a little rusty i and i am and that and that's that's a that's a the honest truth mike uh you know I went from, you know, kind of doing this at my leisure um, to, you know, really having to ramp this thing up. And it's 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 taken a little while to get comfortable with it, um, especially from the standpoint of I'm, I'm working in all aspects of the hobby, with the exception of, of electronics. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm building structures. I'm, I'm putting down track work. I'm building scenery, uh, you know, and I want it all to look like it's my best work. Um, well, you so, weren't handling track or anything. No, no, um, no. And, and thankfully, 
it's it's just you know two mainline tracks with no turnouts okay um, so it's you know it was fairly straightforward four um, pieces of microengineering code 70 uh you know give or take yeah yeah um so uh it's you know the the research having to do the research um you know really kind of slowed up the process but obviously i couldn't do anything until i did the research a number of people who um, have contributed to this effort um, for for nothing other than um, the joy of being involved. Um, a good friend of mine. This is this is the, I think this is one of the funniest stories I have, and I'm going to share it with you and the listeners. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine whose name is Ron Ricci, uh, was a, a Franklin kid. We grew up together. We lived about quarter of a mile apart we went to the same school schools together got in the hobby together started out military modeling and then got into trains he he became more of a um, railroad historian he's, he's he doesn't do much modeling mm-hmm. uh, but he knows his stuff and when we were freshmen in high school uh he was very friendly with the the, the two station masters that that worked in the franklin station and he was up there one day and he says to the, the guy on duty, he says, Hey, um, that sign hanging out outside the, the window that says Franklin on it he says, uh, I want that sign. <laughs> and the station master looks at him. He says, listen, he said, it's the week before Thanksgiving. I'm on vacation all next week. When I come back to work, there better be a sign hanging there. <laughs> So my friend, now, again, we're, we're 14 years old at this point. And the, the, the station is probably a half a mile from his house. He, he was skinnier than I was then. He probably weighed about 30 pounds. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, he said, I went back about two in the morning with a stepladder. So he carried a stepladder a half a mile into town. <laughs> somehow managed to take this sign off of the building bring it home. The next day he brought it to Woodshop and said to the Woodshop teacher, hey, um, can we make an exact duplicate of this sign? You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. So they made an exact duplicate. As soon as it was done, he reversed the process, carried the stepladder and the sign back uptown, middle of the night, rehung the sign. And he said to me, he's telling me the story and my mouth is hanging open. And he says, you know, I, I still have the sign. And he takes a picture of the sign and sends it to me. Well, it turns out that that was the original sign that they hung on that station when it was built in 1928. And he said, you know what the, the part that's even funnier is? I said, what's that? He said, well, you know, they about 20 years ago, they changed the name of the station to, to Franklin Dean College. And when they did that, they hung this metal sign. He said they hung the metal sign over the sign that he made. He said, my sign is still there. So he gave him the copy. He gave him the copy. <laughs> He's got the original. <laughs> Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So that's, that's fantastic. So he has been um, fantastic in um, he, he's like the radar O'Reilly of, 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 of railroading. 
he if it's out there, he can find it. He found the original blueprints to the station. Jeez. So what that allowed me to do was to import the, that those prints into CAD and then trace the walls right over the drawing and then scale it down. So you're not scaling from photos here. No, I'm scaling from the actual blueprints. Jeez. So luxury. So the station that I have built is literally an exact scale copy of that station. Amazing. What I'm, what I'm trying to get him to do is is bring the sign up to the museum and, and display it with the exhibit. He's a little reticent. He he's concerned that someone's going to want it because it's stolen property. I said, you know, I think the statute of limitations has probably run out in this. But I the other thing so. I was able to do, I went over to his house. He lives in Connecticut now. And we went on this walking tour of of the uh, former right away in East Thompson, Connecticut, where there was a four train crash in the late 1800s. And uh, there was a, a tour guide that, you know, kind of talked us through what happened that day. Jeez. And uh, so when I was at his house, he pulled out the sign and I took a picture of it, um, which I which I've printed to scale. And I'm going to hang a picture of that sign from the, the station, just like the, the original sign hung. That's great. So he's shown me all this stuff and he, and he, he, he shows me this, he's got a collection and he's got a concrete whistle post. And uh, I said, Where, where'd you get that? He said, well, it was down on the abandoned, there's, there's a line in Franklin that's abandoned now. And he said, it was on the you know side of the right away. And he said, I just went down there and dug it up, it, put it in the back of my pickup truck. I said, it's got to weigh 500 pounds. I, I was going to say, those things are super heavy. Yeah, it's it's six feet tall. And, you know, three feet of that was in the ground. I said, how the hell did you ever pick that thing up and, and get it in your truck? He said, I don't know. He said, but I did. Leverage. So, leverage, yeah. So he, he's been essential. Um, good friend of mine uh, who's not in the hobby, but uh, we actually own a laser cutter together. Um, and he's also very good with CAD has, has done some, some 3d CAD work for me. Um, some more advanced stuff that, that I'm not able to do. Uh, he's also got a 3d printer, which I didn't realize until I asked him if he could draw, um, this 3d, uh, rendering of, um, an old horse trough that's, that's on the middle of the, the bridge that I modeled. And, uh, he, he, he drew it out. And the next thing I know, he sends me a picture of the thing in his hand. And uh, so he 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 printed one out for me, and all I got to do is go get it and paint it, and I'm I'm in business. Um, Bob Leonard down in Florida uh, rounded me up some some period New Haven locomotives, uh, and uh, just sent me an email today and said they were on their way up to me. Um, my my mother in law sewed a, a decorative skirt to hide the legs of this thing. Sure. Uh, she was here for Thanksgiving and, you know, whipped this thing out in an hour and a half. And, and, and uh, where will it be displayed? Like right in town hall? Yeah, no, it's going to be displayed. That we have a historical museum in town, uh, which is in actually the old town hall. And it, it goes on display um, Sunday, December 18th. Uh, the museum is open uh, every Saturday and Sunday from, I believe, 10 in the morning till four in the afternoon. So I'm picturing you there in a period costume. Explaining uh, things. 
Well, that's just old clothes. It's not a period cost. I will I will be there. But, you know, if anybody listening would would like to come up, um, you know, would would love to have you. We do a um, a second Sunday speaker series. um, And uh, in in January, I I think I'm going to be one of the the speakers and and I'll discuss, you know, the process for building this thing. And I'll also kind of tee up uh, the subsequent um, exhibits that I'm going to do. Um, the, the, the line through Franklin, which was the Midland division of the New Haven, um, covered about five miles of, of, uh, real estate from the, from the, the East end to the, to the West end. And there were several factories. There was also a, a three-stall locomotive roundhouse, uh, which will be in the next portion of the exhibit, which will be, uh, a year from this December. Um, uh, so we've we've got a plan in place, and um, I've got my work cut out for me. But it's it's a lot of fun. What did you say the deadline was for that one? Uh for for the one I'm working on now. No, the next one. Oh, uh, the next one will be about the same time, probably around December first. But you'll be starting it much earlier. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll be starting <laughs> in January. Right, right. Wait, I'm curious now. So did you um? Did you build it on the floral foam for the most part? I was just just curious as to how you used it in this endeavor. So yeah, thanks for asking. So so what I did was I I, I went to Home Depot and I got a piece of um, four by eight um, two inch pink foam. Yep. And and that's the that's you know ground zero for this thing. Yep. Uh, you and I went to the floral supply place in East Chapipi. <laughs> Fall River and uh, picked up um, some some uh, some floral foam, which I used for the contours. Uh, the, you know, there wasn't a lot of elevation in this thing, um, really. Um, it seemed but, like you got a fair amount of it. I was just curious to know if you. Were... Yeah, and, and I used a fair amount of it. Uh, the the there's an embankment um, across the tracks from the station that's about sixteen feet. I'm sorry, sixteen feet. Um, uh, 24 feet high and on the back side of the parking lot where that coal facility was um, it sat a little higher than the parking lot by about eight feet um, and it was kind of interesting because the um, the conveyor for the for the coal building uh, actually went down to the the lower level so the conveyor was about eight feet below the actual um, level of the building itself um so that made for some interesting modeling i actually i I, in my research i went up there now that coal company has been out of there since i think about 1960 that sounds about right usually uh even the coal dealer on my layout in tokanic i think it was viable right up until 1959 so it's about that time when people stopped heating with coal um yes absolutely um, so I went up there and I was trying to, you know, based on the photographs, I was trying to figure out exactly where these buildings fell in conjunction with the, the station. So I wanted everything to, to line up appropriately because, you know, someone from 1932 is most certainly going to be there and say, Hey, that's wrong. <laughs> um, so I was able hey, your to biggest find... fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was able to find um, exactly where the the coal tower was because I found a 
um, a, a whole bunch of coal buried in the embankment. Huh. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it served two purposes. One, it identified where this um, coal conveyor was. Um, but the other thing was it provided me a source of coal that I could grind up and use on this exhibit. So I'm actually using coal that was th literally there. I mean, that's that doesn't get any, any more authentic. It doesn't get any more authentic. I also went over there with a five-gallon bucket and, 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 and filled it with, uh, with dirt from the area. Um, uh, so I, you know, I tried to use as much of the resources as I could. I also found, um, it, it's interesting, you know, the, the railroads are slobs, right? We know this, they don't clean up after themselves. Right. So when that, um, the siding to the coal facility was torn up, the, the railroad literally just took the ties and the tie plates and the spikes and they threw them into the embankment. Jeez, they just buried it. Yeah. And they figured, you know, time will take care of it. So as I'm as I'm walking and, and doing, you know, kind of my my archaeology in that area, I started finding tie plates and spikes and pieces of rotted tie. So, you know, I carefully grabbed, you know, very rusted pieces of metal. And um, these will also be on display with the exhibit. Wow. And, you know, those uh, Ken Karlowitz had shown me that. Um, you can take a little a little bit of that very rotted tie and just kind of crumble it up and it makes great you know debris in a in a, in a yard area I've got a, a a jar of it here that he that he uh, that he gave me natural materials are are, are terrific yeah. uh, a substantial amount of the of the cinder ballast on my layout came from a spot on the BNA believe it or not that, oh, no kidding. That, yeah, the, either Neil or I think it was Jim Dufour maybe that had found it. Yeah. And um, when Jim kind of finished up his layout, he had a good two-thirds of a Home Depot five-gallon bucket of it left. So he let me have it. He says, use whatever you need. I used it all. Well, you, <laughs> And it was almost enough. <laughs> I still had to get some more. But that's really how I did... Um, you know, the 22 feet of Pittston Yard and the maybe 12 feet or whatever it is of, of, of Taylor Yard, plus a lot of the a lot of the connecting tracks. You can't well, beat the real thing. You just sift it and there it is. You can't. And, um, you know, this this stuff that you know, I'm looking at this dirt and I'm thinking, man, this is probably, you know, the EPA would probably cringe. A little bit of lead content, I'm, I'll, I guess. Oh, I'm sure, you know, there's every, you know, oil and grease and you know, every substance in the world so <laughs> embedded in there. But yeah. uh, uh, so well, you know, it sounds I, like a really, really interesting project. I mean, I hope you I know you put yourself into the gun, uh, you overachiever you. But I hope you also enjoyed getting back into it. I do. You know, I, I you know, I it's going to be one of those deals where, um, you know, it'll be done and hopefully I'll, I'll be happy with it, but it'll still kind of eat at me that, you know, gee, if I only had two more months, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, I think that's the case with it. Wait till the next one. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the next one is smaller. Uh, there's a, a, a printing press factory on one side of the tracks and a, a roundhouse on the other. And, um, you know, two, two buildings is going to be much easier than then you know this this and endeavor seven, was, yeah i would think was so the most difficult of of all of the the modules that will go into this so 
Well, at the at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to um, go one on one and overachieve, I just thought I'd give a short uh, layout update here on my yeah end. yeah. Um, I my project for the winter uh, was right along all along was was planned to be the Kaiser Industrial Park, and that's what's wow. on the on the other side of the Taylor Yard backdrop. Probably when you saw it, it was bare plywood. I'm guessing. I believe so. Yes. So, I had finished up with the that Duria area, and uh, and I thought, well, gee, you know, that area immediately to the left of it is kind of an eyesore next to an otherwise completed scene. Maybe I'll just finish up that little that little corner, you know. And um, in order to do that, I needed to do some backdrop work because I wanted to try to screen out lights from the other room that I hadn't realized at the time would be a distraction when you're standing there. So I did some facial work there, which you couldn't do once the once the area was built. And then I started trying to figure out what needed to go in that area. And um, one of the listeners who's a, a Reading Northern engineer, uh, Ron Papercavich, uh, sent me a picture of the coal uh, dealer, not the coal dealer, the, the coal truck loadout that used to be in this industrial park. Okay. He, actually, he actually took a picture of it in the winter, long abandoned, but it was enough that I could kind of get a feel for what it was supposed to look like. And I couldn't wait to build it. And I thought, well, geez, I can't build that part of the scene, which is in the foreground until I do this background stuff. Let me take a look at this background stuff and, 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 see what I need to do there. And I ended up building a produce distributor and a big plastics facility. And that enabled me to do the, the coal dealer. And then immediately to the left of it, I thought, well, I've just got a kind of a shallow depth uh, building for another site. And next thing I know, I'm all the way at the, at, the, at the other end of the Kaiser Valley Industrial Park. And just a couple of days ago, I put the finishing touches on the final uh, warehouse for that end of it. So yep. <laughs> there goes my winter project. What am I gonna <laughs> do now? Well, <laughs> I, could, I could think of something that, you know, would keep you a little busy. Uh, <laughs> does it involve Franklin? <laughs> it does, as a matter of fact, uh, ironically. No, no, I, I have a plan as you as you might have guessed. Oh, I have no doubt that you've got um, a plan. I've, uh, Mike Confalone just, just, just completed the photoshopping of the Pittston Junction backdrop. And uh, I worked with uh, our buddy Lance Mindheim to uh, kind of put it together and do some Photoshop work to uh, de-parallax some of it and de-skew some of it and uh, uh, probably use three different imaging programs that he had me, that he had me get. And um, it got to the point where it was looking pretty good but it wasn't long enough. So Mike took it and um, did his Photoshop magic on it. And uh, it's 12 feet long now. So it's wow. gonna go from the Duria scene all the way down into the curved corner. And we'll, we'll segue into the, the, the really the remaining thing to be done, which is the Pocono Northeast, uh, that sort of narrow section uh, immediately on your right when you walk through the door. So. I think my my next goal is to get that photo backdrop ordered and and finish up Pittston Junction because talk about a spot that is just ripe for detailing and and giving it like real railroady kind of flavor. You know what I mean? There's 
all kinds of railroad sort of junk that needs to be there. And, and I think it's, it'll make it a very photogenic spot uh, because you can get to it from different sides, you know, it, it being a, a full Y there, you know. Yep. So I think that is going to be my focus uh, for for the winter and uh, and just be kind of like a fun little project. So let me ask you, you know, you've been you've been working on this new portion of the layout for three years. Yes. OK. Um, is it give or take? I'm sorry. Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. Is it panning out the way you expected it would or have there been, you know, kind of changes or curveballs that uh, have, have caught you off guard? Well, um, it's interesting, you know, you the, 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 the building, first thing I did was try to design the building around the plan that I wanted to do. So I had a plan, obviously, on paper. And then sometimes when you get to the from the 2d mode into the 3d mode you look at things and you say no 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 we're not going to do it that way um one thing that was always a little hazy was how do i handle that whole area where the one that used to be a doorway you know and everything in dupont kind of funnels from the new building into the old yep so that came out somewhat differently than i pictured uh, Taylor Yard is not behind Pittston Yard as I had planned, but it became obvious that it should come off where it comes off now. Um, in terms of how it's looking and, you know, my satisfaction with it, honestly, I think it, it's far exceeded what I, what I had thought it would be. Um, I'm surprised at how much I'm enjoying operating it too, because let's face it, until you start running it, it's all theory, you know. Oh yeah. Many of these scenes, you know, and uh, this month, uh, the first part of my uh, column at Model Railroad Hobbyist is on how I did that junkyard scene at at Duria there and built it in the in the workshop and planked it in place. I'd never done anything like that before, so that was interesting as hell to do. Sure. Um, so you know, it, it's it's really been just a giant pile of fun, to be quite honest. You know. Um, and the amount of the fun um, has exceeded by my expectations. So I, I have to call it a win. I don't regret doing anything uh, re regarding the uh, the addition at this point. Good, good. I'm glad. Uh, well, I was I was highly impressed with the progress. I'm, I'm always I always am. Uh, you know, and I don't I don't get over there enough. Probably too much for your sake. But, ah, no, next time um, you're in town, you should swing by because you'll get to see that as a completed scene. It probably You've probably seen a few of the pictures on Crew Call, but um, you know the next article I will almost surely be on that, and that won't be until probably, I'm guessing, spring. You know the the and I have a sense of layout, um, but you know it, it might be helpful to um, if occasionally you reprinted a track plan, or if you're starting a new area, kind of. Um, post a, a a section of that track plan, uh, like the drawing, just so people could kind of get a sense of exactly where on the on the layout you're working. So everybody um, asked me about that, and it's and it's a valid question. And this layout is a a very challenging layout to do a track plan for because of the the uh, layers involved. Mm -hmm. um, and and I'm I'm not 
I'm not the guy for that. I'm a 3D guy. I'm not a 2D guy. But uh, there has been progress on that. So model railroad hobbyist at some point is going to be doing a feature on the layout itself, you know, just the uh, overall layout. Yep. So I I I updated the um my crudely drawn plans as best as I could, and I sent them to Joe Fugate. And then a few weeks ago, we did a session where it was like a live, uh, kind of a live Zoom where uh, he and I are on the phone and I've got it so that he's seeing the layout as I walk around. And what he did was he brought up my drawings and then, you know, point by point, as I walked around the layout, he's trying to relate what he's seeing to the drawing and he recorded it. <laughs> so that he wouldn't have to like remember it or take copious notes. So that's going to allow them to do a real track plan for the railroad. And I think that uh, is long overdue. And I think we'll go a long way to helping people that haven't seen it or can't see it, understand what's, what's, uh, what's going on there, you know, because really it's, it's twice around the entire basement, which is why it takes you about 25 minutes to go point to point if you didn't stop sure and you always stop so you can only do that by climbing uh, a good a good uh, a good portion of that to get from basically the the whole basement's a giant helix so um because of that and because there's stuff on top of some of these climb tracks you know it's it's harder to represent uh, especially for a guy like me, but I think somebody who does that, who knows what they're doing, I mean, we've seen plans in, in the magazines for years that convey that nicely, you know? So frankly, I'm very, very interested to see what they come up with and uh, and how it's going to look because it's it's something I've wanted for a long time. Okay. And then that would allow me to do just what you're saying, you know, to take, take, take sections and say, here's what I'm, here's what I'm working on now. Okay. Well, I mean, certainly something we can keep prodding you about and look forward to in the future. Yeah. Then. Yeah. No, listen, you know, you've got, you've got to prod everybody, right? Because who, because oh, uh, the thing of it is you work so fast that, you know, even me with a, a sense of where everything kind of is, I have to think of, all right, well, that's, that's, you know, on this side of the backdrop or, you know, over here. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, the way uh, you learn a layout is to operate on it, you know, and, yep. and when you've operated on a layout, x number of times anyway for me that's how i get to know a layout you can walk yep. around and look at it um and that's all well and good but i i learn a layout by operating on it yep yeah me too really so that's what i've got here you got anything to wrap up here i i don't um and i i appreciate the opportunity to come back on it's uh it, it's it's fun when i don't have to do it once a month um, well, you know, at, at this point, I seem to be managing to do it quarterly, and yep. that's not really that's not really the plan. Um, yep. It's going to be an unstructured schedule. So you could see two podcasts in a month, and then you might go five months and, and not see one. It's entirely according to my whim and my schedule and level of interest and getting people to come on. I've got two or three... Uh, interesting people that I've been trying to get on for quite a long time and I'm, I'm working on them. So um, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, scope is 
an interesting conversation, hopefully with somebody that I'm interesting, interested to talk to, you know? So um, I appreciate you coming on as well. Well, thank you very much, Mike. After all, we've been doing it for a long time. A long time. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, that's, uh, we'll put this one in the books and uh, we'll see you on the next one.